Good morning. Most of you do not realize this, but me and Rick already have a connection. I filled in at Wheeler Hill when he left in 2011 until Dale Barger came in the first part of 2012. Guess what I'm doing now? <laughs> Preceding Rick before he shows up, so I think there's a connection there, or we're in the twilight zone, I'm not sure which. <laughs> But I do see that seems a little, as we would say, ironic in that respect. I want to begin this morning with a question that you may have never thought of. And the question simply is this. What does the omniscient God of heaven read? And when I ask that question, we ourselves tend to think in our back of our mind what all that we read. Not worried about what we're reading for just the moment. I'm asking the question, what does the God of heaven read? The books, the word books is mentioned somewhere in the neighborhood of about 195 to 200 times in the New Testament based upon which standard translation you're looking at. But there's only three that I can find that are on God's reading list. That is the books that He looks at. And we find the description of those books in the latter part of Revelation as John gives us a scene, as it were, of the judgment at the end of that marvelous book. In chapter 20 and verse 12, John simply says, And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. If we said a moment ago, when we begin looking at this, the word books, and then another book, we can almost surmise at least three books that God reads, as it were, almost like we might say on a daily basis. When we also think about this, we're reminded of the fact that even Daniel reflected this when he writes in his apocalyptic part of his prophetic book, in chapter 7, verse 20, when he says, The court set in judgment, and the books, he said there, were open. But God will especially read these three books on the judgment day. All three will be laying before His throne as each of us stand before God. The first book that we want to look at this morning is simply called the book of deeds. It is man's book in God's hands. It is man's book in God's hands. Lives of famous people are recorded. We have books about famous people of the past, of their lives, of whatever they may have invented, or whatever cause they may have started, or what great act they may have done that would cause history to remind us and to remember them. We have books written about them. We find that even in Chronicle, if we look in the book of the great book of God, we find in Second Chronicles 35, it says, "The acts of Josiah and his good deeds, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah." So there we have just an inkling of fact that anyone who's known or famous, no doubt, is either themselves or someone has written a book concerning their lives for us to remember. We're familiar with the fact in our day and age, the 
paparazzis constantly around taking pictures of those who are in celebrityville and are known. So we, they're never out of our sight. We're constantly reminded about these individuals. Sports heroes and even war, great war heroes have books written about them to remind them of their exploits and how this particular individual did some great thing that caused a change in a battle or a change in the war itself. We are reminded of these things daily. Most of us will never have a book written about us. We're never, we're more likely of us to live our lives and work our jobs and so forth and raise our families. And we'll never, in essence, compared to the world's imagination, never do anything that's great in their eyes for someone to write a book about us so others can read about it. Uh, but we still do have a book written about us. You see, it is a book written by God on every living human being who walks on the face of this earth. And every human being is a subject of that book. We might could look at it either way. We look at it as a great big book and each of us have a chapter. Or we look at it as a great monstrosity of books put together and each of us has our own book. But what is in that book about each of us? What do we find recorded? God records our words. The things which we say. Good or bad, up or down, makes no difference. He records our words. We can look even in that book and realize that He records the things which we have done in our, in our lifetime, in our bodies, while we walked in this earth. And as the Bible calls it, whether good or bad, it don't make any difference. They're there. He records, as it were, our, our wonderings. He records our tears. He records our joys. He records our thoughts. Even the members of our body are mentioned. And we know particularly one what? Every hair on our head, God knows the number. What a frightening thought. But yet at the same time, it'll make us feel secure. God knows us. He knows everything about us. Everything that we do every day, our fruits as a child of God, are recorded. Even Solomon observed this in Proverbs 20 and verse 11. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, whether his conduct is pure and upright. And when you think about many of the characters of the Bible, many of them never thought for one minute that the words that they spoke would ever be recorded. You remember Job, this great man that we are, we consider as a man of great patience. You lost everything and gained more back because of his loyalty to God. Even in his mind, he never thought that when he cried out to God of not being heard, that he felt like God was not listening to him. Did he ever think for a moment that his words would be recorded? Not only in his book or his chapter of that book, but in the Bible itself. Look at Job 19, verses 23 and 24. That, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. Job didn't realize that was going to happen. But here we read of them, but only are they in the Word of God itself. They're in His book in heaven. They're inscribed there. God says, I wrote that down. I heard you crying, Job. I know what you're feeling. 
Even God has written down the words of this great, great old man of the New Testament of Nehemiah, who wrote, Remember me, oh, oh my God, concerning this. Do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for His service in the 13th chapter of His book. Nehemiah is just praying a prayer. I a petition unto God to remember Him. Never thought they'd be written down and be remembered by God. Never thought of it. We can read through the Old Testament. How many times did God stretch out His hand to a rebellious people called the nation of Israel as they provoked Him to anger constantly? It is all written down. And God remembers. And God reads. It's still there. A righteous man. The one we call the man of the faithful Abraham. Some things were written about him that were not good. And we still remember him. You remember King Abimelech? King Abimelech, in chapter 20 of Genesis, thought that Abraham's wife Sarah was his sister. Takes Sarah to be part of his kingdom or harem or whatever you want to call it he wanted to do. Was warned by God not to touch her. Why? Because she belongs to someone else. He brings Sarah back to Abraham and says in verse 9, You have done to me things that ought not to have been done. He almost caused my house to be destroyed because I thought she was your sister. Abraham, the man of faithful, this is still recorded about him. And we still record in the New Testament in Luke 11 where Christ reminds the Jews of that day and time, your forefathers mistreated the prophets, hardly killed them. And your descendants went along with it, upheld what they did. In Revelation 2, we remember Jesus told and was heard to say and hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. It's recorded. It might pass the ears of others. And many may never know that it was ever said or done. But it's there at the throne of God being written down Every day. Well, what should our actions be since we know that to be the case? Since we know that everything we say, do, is written down by God in this great big book that's our lives in His hand, what must we do? We need to take care of editing the sins of yesterday. Now, we can't go back and rewrite history. And we know many history books today, man has tried to do that, but he, he really can't rewrite history. But God does allow us, notice, God does allow us to edit, to edit by applying the blood of Jesus Christ to erase past sin. Gives us that, that privilege of being able to clean the past 
and ask for forgiveness to have those things removed. We also should be motivated to live as it were a holy life every day. We realize in this great book of our deeds that our page grows longer every day we live. Every morning when we arise, He starts and writes everything we do throughout the day till we go to bed at night the next day over and over again. Now, it is easy, very much so, that as far as living a Christian life is concerned, abiding in Christ, as John talked about this morning, it's easy to go through the motions. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to do that and we can maybe fool each other because we have. But let us remember one thing. When our lives began, God pushed the record button. And He hasn't hit pause nor stop yet. It's still playing. It's still recording. It should keep us in constant reminding of the fact that it that our lives are constantly being recorded. Nothing is left out of the eyes of God. Peter wrote to all to fellow brethren simply this Second Peter three eleven, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he asked a question What sort of people ought you to be, he says, in lives of holiness and godliness? Paul continues to say in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven for we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful. We need to remind ourselves the record button is still playing. It hasn't ever stopped for anything. We also should be cautious to walk carefully along the narrow pathway. I'm going to ask a silly question here for a moment. Do you drive a lot more carefully when you look up and see that blue, that black and white car behind you? It's got the blue lights on top. <laughs> City question. Yeah, you do. All of a sudden, gas pedal lets up, speed goes down, brake lights work, turn signals are just fine, everything's fine and dandy. Because he's behind you and you know what happens if you miscue, don't you? What is he saying? We live our lives, and we need to live our lives as if what? God's behind us all the way. At work, do you pay more attention to your work when your boss is watching you than when he's not? You see what we're saying? you got to watch as if God's always standing behind you. In Mark 13 and 37, Christ kind of put it in a nice quiet but a very blunt way, when he said, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. We know what he meant. We don't have to ask ourselves. We know exactly what he meant. What did Paul tell young Timothy to do as he wrote to him the last time in his last book? Do the work of evangelist, he says to him. Fulfill your ministry. You've got this great responsibility to preach the gospel. Continue doing it 
and continue walking that narrow way and help others do the same. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 6, Paul again says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Why? That we're walking the narrow way. That we ought to walk as if we know that God's always behind watching us and where we're traveling. Remember the church at Sardis? In its letter and found in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, he said to these people, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. You know not the hour. When you look at that, you could look at it from one of two things. Being the thief here. In essence, for the moment, number one, death. Death takes our life, doesn't it? Comes when we least expect it. Number two, the judgment. If we're alive when it happens, it's over. Be like a thief in the night, too late. The opportunity is now all over. The record button is hit, stop can't go any further, cannot make any changes. That's the book of deeds. The second book is called the book of Scriptures. This is God's book in our hand. This is the only book which occupies a shelf on the library of every library in America, and it's on the shelf of the library of heaven itself. Why? Because it is the only words in which Christ said about heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It is a Hebrew writer which basically in one sense described the Word of God in a sense in chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is living, notice that's in present tense, still living today, and active, still active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is the Word of God. Did you realize, and do we need to stop sometime and remind ourselves, that in the beginning when sin entered this old world, do we have to remind ourselves, God didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to give us this. He didn't have to. But He did, didn't He? He did. Why did He give it? So we would know what was required of us in order to enter heaven on the day of judgment. Look at it this way, from a teacher's eye point. The judgment will not be a pop quiz. Teachers, Bert, you did, didn't you? You gave pop quizzes when you taught. What has he done to see if you were paying attention in class? See if you did the night before his homework? And when you mention that word, you got the, oh great, he's going to do one of them again. Or others who knew the word didn't worry about it. What students always wanted was a teacher who would sit down and say, we're going to have a test on Friday and here's what it's going to consist of. 
we're going to cover this material. It's going to involve in this and that. And the students in the back of their mind appreciate that at least they know where they'll be going and what they need to study. And that helps them to make a better grade, of course, if they study. <laughs> That's the point. Allows you to prepare. So is that what God did for us? Yes, He did. You see, the judgment's not going to be a pop quiz. Because God has already given you the textbook. And He's already told you what's going to be on the test. We already know what the, true, the correct answers are to be. To get that what we call a passing grade. Jesus said to those who were listening as He walked on the face of this earth, the word that I have spoken will judge Him on the last day. And that's not just the red letters <laughs> that most people tend to try to narrow the gospel down to today. It's not just the red letters. It's the entire New Testament because all of this from Matthew to Revelation, is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. It was paid for by His blood. So here we have the textbook. On that day when we stand before God, those who've lived under that patriarchal age will be judged by the oral commandments God handed down to the fathers or to the patriarchs, if you please, through that time period. To those who lived under the Old Testament, I mean under the law of Moses period, will be judged as the book is open, as they can look at their lives compared to that law that they lived under. To us, it will be the New Testament opened up. And by it, by this wonderful Word that is our, God's book in our hands, our lives will be judged accordingly. What is our action on this? If life depended upon you, on passing a test, would you read the material that was necessary to cover that test for the moment? Would you burn the midnight oil? Would you stay up and go over and over again? Maybe even sit with others and compare back and forth to make sure that you had the right answers before you took it? Everyone would say, yes, they would. Yes, they would. You see, it's more, but on this case, it's more than your life riding on that final test. There's more to it. You see, on that test, is not just a passing grade. That test will determine whether we spend eternity in heaven or spend eternity in hell. And the only one that can determine the outcome is each individual because they have the responsibility to take God's book, read it, and understand what is necessary enjoy the place called heaven when life is over and pass the test. And we'll look at that last book tonight. This morning, if you're not a child of God, here's the opportunity. Things are ready.
Everything is prepared, waiting simply for you to respond to this precious invitation. God in His book to you has told you what you must do to become a child of God. What what is required of you to have your sins washed away, to begin walking this new life, editing that page, and from that point God has written down in your under your name, today became a child of God. And we know that to be the fact as we look at the conclusion of Acts 2, what it say? It was God who was adding to the church daily those that were being saved. That is, those who comply to the teachings to become a child of God. This morning, if you have belief and know that God is the God of heaven, that His Son died for you to step closer, are you willing to repent? The hardest of all of these to do to become a child of God. This is the hardest for people to want to give up things. But when He says repent, He means give it all up. That whole past life has to go. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to confess Him before all that He is the Christ, that He died for you, that He is the Savior of mankind? And bear it as we know on the Pentecost day, those that were received it, baptized, immersed in the great water, where the blood of Christ washed their sins clean, and they raised up to walk the new life Paul describes in Romans 6. Here's the opportunity. This morning, if you're a child of God who knows what the books, what the book says, knows what required of you, but you realize this day and hour you strayed from the truth. You're not walking as you should. You quit reading the book. You've laid the material aside. You've forgotten that God's still walking behind you as it were. Here's the opportunity to come home. Things are ready. The world hasn't come to an end. God is still preciously waiting for His child to return home. Here's the opportunity while together we stand and while we sing.